you know, you enter a film and, and, and it goes into this process and, and it's sort of selected. But I don't, it's interesting how the selection process works because talking to people, you know, a lot of people have sort of said, well, yes, you can enter it in the sort of in the ordinary way, but actually it's a lot better if you sort of, you know, know the person and, and, and know people there who are selecting and things like that. So, so in a way, it's been slightly disheartening hearing that and, and realizing that actually, you know, in the end, it comes back to knowing the right people again, which is often the a case in this industry. So that's why I think things like Raindance and, and Melbourne are so, so good because they'll accept sort of films that come from anywhere and it doesn't matter if, if they haven't got that much funding or a big backup. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 29. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life Podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com academy. What you're about to listen to is the second of a special two-part episode that we've put together about the world of the Documentary Film Festival as seen through the eyes of the filmmaker as well as the festival's director. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first of this special series where we first talked with the director of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, Lyndon Stone. In it, he discussed how he first decided to put together a documentary film festival, some of the highlights of the upcoming 2017 event, as well as a few tips on how a documentary filmmaker might best apply to a festival like MDFF. We also had the pleasure of speaking with one of New Zealand's most respected documentary filmmakers, Costa Boats, whose film Act of Kindness is one of the films selected for inclusion into the MDFF program. Among other things, Costa spoke about the rather unique way in which this film came to be, how and why film festivals are a key component to a doc filmmaker's career, and he offered some first-hand insight into how some film festivals make their selections. In the second part of the series, we are honored to have on Richard Wiley, a doco filmmaker who makes his living doing broadcast docs in the UK. His wonderful and moving film, Five Days of Lesvos, is his first independent documentary, and it's making some serious waves in the film festival circuit, including Raindance, where it was nominated for Best Feature Documentary and it was nominated for Best Documentary at the National Film Awards in the UK. So with that, let us check back in with Lyndon Stone, director for the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, as he discusses the types of films that were and were not selected as inclusion in this year's MDFF. We've got such a diverse amount of documentaries. We've got stuff from Sierra Leone, we've got Belarus, Brazil, um, great one from Brazil, Edu with Claudio Cruz, um, great filmmaker, uh, New Zealand, Australia, um, the UK, uh, Canada. So we, we we look at things in an open book, but again, they're all ranked, you know, so right. um, and everyone who submits their documentary it's like their baby, you know, they think it is all all brilliant, and majority of them are, some some aren't. Uh, when we first started on our first year, we did play some stuff from some filmmakers that were still kind of emerging kind of filmmakers, not so much established, but maybe this is, you know, some that weren't probably to a high standard as, as they are this year, because we wanted to support all forms of filmmaking, you know, and stuff like that. But the other thing is, you know, people are like, well, what about the quality of the festival as well? So we have to be a little bit more discerning in our second year because we want to have attract high quality documentaries, you know. But it's awkward because everyone, you know, it's almost like, you know, American Idol, everyone thinks they can sing and some people can, some people can't. Same with documentaries. Some people are gifted filmmakers 
and some people need a bit more time to develop you know so um yeah it's um okay it's just trying to see what you can do to help people where you can and, and that's where sometimes the feedback if people want it can come in and, and be encouraging almost like a review we can provide that to them if they request it you know on their documentary yeah. i really trying to encourage you know, more people to get into documentary, particularly from photography. Or going back to like micro docs, you know, trying to, to make a documentary uh, maybe two or three minutes uh, in length and trying to tell a good, if, if, if you're just starting out, just trying to tackle, you know, a story in two or three minutes, you know, doing a micro documentary and to see how they go. So I would encourage people that um, have always wanted to make a documentary particularly photographers, to try to make a micro documentary, try and tell a story, have themes, motives, all in a compact two or three minute um, uh, runtime, you know? So if, particularly if they're starting out. If someone approaches you <laughs> and tells you that they want to start a film festival, yeah. what advice would you have for them? I guess with a film festival, you know, we need to have more film festivals. I think at the moment there's 6,000 film festivals in the world and there needs to be more of these film festivals, you know, having a greater sense of community, you know, uh, you know, playing themes that relate to them. And, and I encourage people uh, to do that. We're, we're also partnered in the UK with the Cheap Cuts Film Festival, right. um, which is the only short documentary film festival uh, in the UK. And it's a great festival. Uh, I was looking at the other day, I was at the Cinema Museum in, in London. Um, but they do a lot of good work. They, they start at the same time as us. This is their second year. Okay. Um, you know, and they're connecting with an audience there in central London and have done an amazing job doing so. But, you know, we need more film festivals to support filmmakers, you know. So um, I would recommend, you know, people stepping outside their comfort zone and to do that. But it's a lot of work, Chris. It's a lot, a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of 18, 20-hour days. You really have to be, you know, have a lot of will, a lot of passion behind that. Um, it takes a special certain kind of person to do that, you know, to keep going, to keep doing that. Um, but it's a lot of work. So you really have to have that passion, that drive. And you need to have those themes of you want to help people out. Like you you want to help the filmmakers out. You want to, you know, um, be passionate about film and storytelling. And um, I think it takes a special kind of person. But it's a lot of, uh, you know, you can't be flippant about it. You really have to yeah. want to do it and, and want to do it well. Um, and I think the, our festival has done a great job of, you know, attracting really good documentaries, getting sponsorship, social media. I think we're, we're hitting all those marks in our second year, which is really, really great. And, yeah. and the future looks very bright. Um, but I would encourage people to step outside their comfort zone and to give back, you know, to, to, the, uh, to the community. Um, but also have a you know, kind of character to, to carry that through. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. So. Um, well, yeah. Lyndon, yeah. I, 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 as a filmmaker, I, as a documentary filmmaker, um, and a, and a listenership who are documentary filmmakers, um, I want to mm -hmm. thank you for for having a festival like this, and I, I can only wish you yeah. um, the most success. And uh, I'm excited to, yeah. like I said, um, you know, I'm excited to get this to get uh, to get uh, to get this show out there and to have. Um, Better, better. I guess I'm excited to get the show out there, so more people can can not only know about MDFF, but have for my, for filmmakers to have yeah. a better understanding of of what the process is and and how it works for both for both yeah. the um the people that work for the the festival as well as the filmmakers. I hope that people can see the intention of the festival. You know, it is for filmmakers to to help them out to help local Australian filmmakers to showcase their work. As I say. 
Um, they struggle at the box office to break that million dollar uh, barrier. And also for international filmmakers to have, you know, to, to be in Melbourne, Australia, one of the coolest postcodes on the planet, you know, That's right. now with its own dedicated documentary. <laughs> That's right. I hope people have a look at that and go, wow, what a, what a lineup of documentaries. I want to be a part of that. It looks so cool. Um, yeah. So I hope, I hope that people can see what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve. So you've got a great idea for a documentary film. Awesome. I'd love to hear about it, but I don't have a ton of time. Can you tell me about it in 30 seconds or less? Oh, you don't quite have your pitch down yet. Okay, that's fine. What's your website where I can find more information? Maybe a press kit I can take a look at. You don't have one. Well, have you thought about how you might raise some funds to help with the costs of making films? They can be expensive, right? You haven't. Okay, maybe just tell me about your audience. Who's going to want to see your film? Who will you be marketing it to? You don't know this either. Okay, then I'm going to assume you haven't thought about how you'll be getting your film out into the world then, right? I think I see what's going on here. I was once in your shoes. A great idea for a doc. Camera in one hand, a boom mic in the other. But other than that, not much other than a whole lot of excitement and gumption. And that's great. You'll need all of that. But you'll also need a heck of a lot more if you're looking to make the kind of documentary film that you can be proud of. The kind that people will want to see and will impact them. The kind that won't break the bank while you're making it. And dare I say, you might even make some money from. You need support, and we've got you covered. We built the Documentary Academy with you in mind. We've got all the resources you need to make a successful documentary film you can be proud of. Come and enroll at thedocumentarylife.com academy, and let's turn that doc idea into a reality. As you know, we have a couple of, a couple of directors who are going to be on, Costa Boats, as well as Richard Wiley. And uh, right. we're we're honored and and excited to 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 have them on the show and to talk about both their films. What was it about yeah. these guys that made you have to have this included in MDFF? It just comes back to the story making. Richards, um, as I say, you know, it's it, it's not necessarily that it has had this great festival bow, which it's had, but it is a well made documentary in a concise period. Like it's an hour documentary, um, you know just blown away by the filmmaking and stuff like that. And, and obviously the critics have been as well. So we've picked very astutely uh, on that. Um, what was it about this film? What was it about Richard Wiley's film that made you had to yeah. have it in this festival? Well, 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 obviously it's coming back to curating. Obviously, you know, Melbourne has a very big Greek population, you know, and what's happening in Greece at the moment um, is, is quite relevant and timely. Um, and, Again, it's an exercise in, in great filmmaking, incredibly well made. And as I say, Melbourne has a very big you know, Greek population. Um, so we want to try to kind of tailor things that will kind of connect with the Melbourne audience and, and narrative, you know. Okay. So, um, yeah. My dad is dead. Mama, Dimashk, Akhtibi Dimashk. طالع البلاد أوروبا بشان أمن حياته أمن مستقبلنا. I know that we are illegal, but we had to. We didn't have any choices. Your job is to save your life, and we did that. They're still in the situation that they think there is a little bit hope, but in Europe there is no hope for these people. When you are saying bye to your mom, to your dad, to your children. You're not sure that you're going to see them again. And it's crazy that we're talking about surviving in this beautiful place, but uh, 
Yeah. Well, like I said before, that's just uh, how it is. So. I started in about 2005 um, making documentaries actually for a channel called Teachers TV, which doesn't mm. exist anymore um, in the UK, which um, which was a very good place to learn because because the budgets were quite small and, and you were given a lot of responsibility quite early on. And, and so they sort of gave me a camera and said, go out and go out and make this. And then I saw it through the edit and which is which is quite a hard experience to get because it's quite a competitive industry. So right. I was quite lucky. And I. It was a good place to learn, and then from then on, I've, I've sort of moved into. Uh, I've done bits of current affairs um, for Channel Four in the UK, and uh, and also programs for sort of PBS in the States, yes. things like that. Yeah. Um, and and as my career's gone on, I've gone more into sort of observational documentary. I'm, I, I like making films about characters and people, and and although they often have a sort of current affairs element to them, I, mm. I always try to keep it about the people. Mm. And I quite like films that, that sort of take a big issue and and, and a political issue and, and and see but see how the decisions that are made at a high level sort of filter down to affect sort of people on the ground. So and that's kind of what I do now. And I've made films in America about uh, children in prison uh, in the states um, and and things like that. So so yeah. So this this particular subject was quite a good one that sort of appealed to me. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned current affairs and, and yet telling this, telling people's stories being sort of the focus of your work. You guys entered a, a really a, a focal point of, you know, this in particular, the Syrian refugee crisis in Europe and and your story. I think it could have in other hands, in other filmmakers hands, it could have gone in, in any myriad of directions and mm. what isn't hap- what 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 is not um there's no particular heavy-handedness in your film um it's it is it is as you've just described yourself as a filmmaker which is to say that you're allowing the story itself really and the people itself to tell the story and really in this case tell the story of of the refugee crisis that's been happening in in, in Europe and that's really the remarkable mm. part to me is the decisions that you guys made as filmmakers not to be heavy-handed and not to take a a straight straight up sort of political stance. No, I mean I, I like making films that aren't black and white and and don't try and sort of tell you what to think. And I think the more nuance you've got there, it's the better. And and you know the audience might always come to films with a sort of preconceived idea of what they think, and and showing the people in those situations and. And the nuances in the story, you know, I quite like sort of, you know, one minute people are thinking one thing and the next thing they're, they're thinking something else. Yeah, and and right. bringing out nuances is, uh, it's good because there's always is nuances in a the story. There's two sides to it. And, and I think it's important to show both sides and then let people make up their own minds about, about the situation. I think, yeah, I think the skill of a filmmaker is to, is to sort of, you know, take what you see when you're there and then, and then make a sort of representation of that in, in the film. get a lot a lot of tiny babies and we really concentrate on the babies. I had one little girl, 10 year old girl last week with chlorine berms from a chlorine bomb. Well, I'm a woodcarver and I'm having to deal with all this because we don't have a doctor. Okay, I think we got one and it's, yeah, it's definitely moving. 
The film is Five Days of Lesvos. Richard, why, why don't you give us, I think this seems like an appropriate time, tell us a little bit about what the film is about, as well as how the project happened for, for you and, and your colleague. It started, as you said, the, the refugee crisis had been going on for a while. I mean, people have been landing on, on Lesvos as you know, refugees for, for a number of years, actually. Um, but that, that year, it started to, you know, as more and more were coming. And it got to sort of, I think it was July and um, or perhaps even June. And a lot of a lot were arriving. Um, and, the, and the press coverage was sort of getting more and more, certainly in the UK, was they would, no one kind of understood it. And, and the, you know, a lot of the sort of right wing press in the UK was saying, <laughs> oh, yeah, they shouldn't be coming and, and, and things like that. And, you know, what, what's going on? And, and then I think David Cameron, our prime minister at the time, was, sort of said that you know all these swarms of people are coming over and, and the word swarms caused a lot of controversy oh, and and, yes. and and no and there was a feeling that i think sam the producer and i wanted to find out what was really you know what these people were really are why they were really uh coming over because i think a lot of people certainly in the uk assumed that they were just coming here and then it was it was portrayed that they were coming here you know, for more money or to get our benefits. and Of course. <laughs> that's always, that's that's the fear, and that is only increased, especially in the UK, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so and so, I think Sam Sam read an article in the probably the Guardian. Um, yeah. About people around Europe that were actually helping refugees, rather than sort of you know castigating them or turning them away, they were yeah. actually helping them. Yeah. And um, and that was where she read about Eric, who's, yes. who's one of the characters in our film. And, and the great work he was doing. And so Lesbos looked like the sort of, it looked like that was where a lot of the refugees were arriving. So so we thought, well, I'll make contact with Eric and Eric got back to me fairly quickly, which was great, and, and mm. said, yeah, come along and, you know, and, and, and sort of see what's going on. Yeah. And we booked the flights. We didn't really at that stage have any idea really of what, what we might do. I mean, the thought was that maybe <laughs> we'd, this would be the start of a, a a longer film where you know you'd see them landing and then hopefully maybe we could sort of follow them across Europe and see where they ended up and and of course and, right and see them making new life or something like that right but, or maybe um, follow one particular family right yeah exactly I mean it's sort of all options are open and that was one of the reasons why I sort of wanted to do it in a way because because if it was a broadcast project you'd have to you'd have to sort of write your treatment and and, and send it to a channel and say exactly what you were going to sort of what your story was going to be before you know whereas with this we didn't know what it was going to be and mm. it, we thought it would be the start of a, a process which could go on years but um so we booked the flights fully also fully understanding that i think it was in july we booked the flights and we thought oh well, you know the whole thing might have died down by the time we get there oh wow <laughs> um, and you know and if it has we'll just have a nice holiday yeah um 
So oh, we, the irony um, of the usage of the word holiday in regards well, to this film. <laughs> yeah, and and I think, and that was where so we sort of arrived on the island with that, and you know we hadn't really met anyone. There was a, there was a sort of vague plan to meet Eric, you know, at the top of the hill, yeah. at sort of six a.m. Um, <laughs> when he was looking for the boats, and that was sort of all all the preparation we'd done really. Amazing. And and then we got there, and and it's as as you see in the film, it turned out that actually that week more refugees arrived than ever before and and that in hindsight that turned out to be you know a big week when it all started happening a lot, a lot more and so once we sort of got back um we realized that actually that you could tell a story the whole story in the week and that sort of embodied the wider picture really of what was going on broadcast docs is a, 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 a how you make your living mm. whereas as a documentary filmmaker i have predominantly made my living in in the commercial world and I find it so liberating as a filmmaker at times to sort of break away from, you know, sort of the broadcast work or the commercial work and sometimes actually almost have no idea what you're going to be filming and just take your mm. gear and go and see what happens. Yeah. There's something very liberating for that. What was that like for you? I think, yeah. And it's often the best way to make a film. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the best the best documentaries really you have come out of something you didn't know you know you take a risk and and didn't know what you're going to get and then yeah. and then it sort of devolves as you go and I find the broadcast world is, is quite constrained and you know as I say you have to you have to sort of pitch your story beforehand and and sort of sell the story and and something like this would never have been commissioned for TV if I'd said oh give me wow. some money to go off to Greece and just see you know see what happens and <laughs> yeah. and and no one had ever given me any money for that and also have said oh yeah we'll put it on TV so um, yeah I, I don't think that's that's one of the things about this is that it would never have happened if it had been for broadcast so um, which is why yeah why film festivals are good it's truly remarkable uh, what transpires in the course of five days mm. uh, I, I, you couldn't have possibly envisioned this you couldn't have possibly envisioned you know going to a town on this island uh, off of Greece and and the refugees are coming in and you're filming the refugees and then within a day or two two's time suddenly and, and of course to paint a picture for for the audience this is massively a tourist town and mm. and and in fact this island makes you know a, a, a a lot of people's livings are tied into the tourist trade in, in this area. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for, and you really see, you know, the battle with locals, like say, say Eric, who's, who, who takes it upon himself to help the, the refugees that are coming in. And then mm. you have sort of the tourist sector, which is fighting against it because their lives are tied into this and they mm. feel like the tourist mm. trade might be affected. And to see through the course of, you know, five days in, vast changes from day to day in terms of almost like the island's policy and attitudes towards the refugees is remarkable. Mm, I, I don't, yeah. You couldn't have possibly anticipated all of that happening in five days, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why we sort of went with an open mind and, and it was only really, I, I think for the first few days we'd, we were obviously filming, filming this and, and, and we, you know, it was all really interesting what was going on there, but I think it was the moment in the film, I think it's, Sort of just over halfway when they closed that uh, camp in the in the town, and right. that's the refugees have to, That's the sort of turning point of the film, really, and that's what that's what sort of made the story develop. You know, halfway through, and then obviously that after that, then people have, then have to start walking. And I think that that was sort of what enabled the narrative to sort of develop and and 
that gave it the sort of five-day structure, really. And so um, are you guys pretty aware of that in the moment, say by day two or day three, Richard? Do you feel like you know you had that moment as a filmmaker where you realize, oh, wow, this is this is where the story turns. Like this is this is how it's going to happen. And and now we have, like you said, this idea of a five day structure. Did you sense it at that moment, like that day um, when the camp got closed down? Not necessarily. I mean, we knew that was a big moment because obviously the camp was crucial to sort of helping these refugees as they arrived, then then make their way down. I think we we did think at that point, you know, what's going to happen now, um, and then. Yeah, and then the consequences are obvious. But um, I think, that, yeah, I think that point suddenly, you know, realised that the story was then developing. Um, and then we sort of carried on. I think it was only after we got back, really, that we sort of sat down and thought, actually, you know, there's a whole... By by simply using the five days that we were there, you could actually tell tell a story which had a sort, a sort of beginning and end. Because I think the, the other thing was that... After you know we got back and it, but it was clear that this you know this refugee crisis just wasn't going to end. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was quite clear is that we, you know, it was very hard to follow follow families, and we did we did sort of um, get the contact details of the refugees that we followed, but we also realised that we probably didn't have enough money to keep this going for a long time and then start yeah, going right. with all the refugees and and because we got a story over five days and it was sort of a you could you told the story and that sort of told the story of the bigger picture i think it we sort of came to the conclusion that that why do we need it anymore when so much happened in this week and it and it sort of tells a really interesting story as it is and 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 you know the microcosm of that week really represents a sort of bigger whole really microcosm is of course the word that i was looking for thank you for, <laughs> for helping me with that uh <laughs> Richard, talk to us about that moment as a, as a documentary filmmaker where you're faced with the decision of coming out from behind the camera and actually assisting, um, well, I mean, you were assisting the refugees com- coming off the boats. What's that like? Because it wasn't a one-off either. You were doing that from what I, from anything I've read, you were, you and the other, your, your other, your colleague, your producer were mm. doing that um, throughout the process. You were not only just filming, but you were helping the refugees off the boats as well. Is that, is that true? Did I read that? Correctly? Yeah. I mean, Sam certainly, um, sort of waded in and, and yeah, and helped. And she speaks a bit of Arabic as well. So, so it was very useful because uh, I mean, okay. that was the thing that, that struck us actually was that I didn't realize this when we met Eric and you see it in the film really is that yeah. they, they are the ones helping and, and they have to do them, you know, help with medical attention and things like that. And, and it was the first time I'd ever, usually as a, as a filmmaker, you, I think I've said about this before, you, you know, you're filming experts who are the best people to, to be doing what they're doing. And, and so you film them doing their jobs. And that's the story. Whereas here, you know, it was just volunteers helping. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there were so many people and they were so overwhelmed that, that you, you sort of had to help really. I mean, you couldn't really just, uh, just forget about it. So, so what would generally happen is the boat would arrive, and, and it was some way from the from the town, really. So they they all all these people had just got off this boat, and they had to then get into the town. So we'd we'd film a bit of people getting off the boat, and then what you don't see in the film is that they all then sort of a lot of people sort of had little cars, and they and they'd drive some of the more vulnerable people down into the town, and we did quite a lot of that actually, sort of ferrying people down there. Ah, uh, okay. Is why you don't see it in the film because we were. We were doing it rather than filming. So, um, yeah, because yeah, suddenly I, I felt like I could actually, you know, I was I was just as well placed to help as other people and, and Sam was as well. So often, like I say, that that isn't the case. So, yeah. so yeah, so we did. Our, I mean, the, the volunteers, certainly, I mean, they were helping all the time. Like, you know, we'd, we'd film 
bit of people going off the boats, then we go off somewhere else. But the volunteers just kept at it all day, which was which was very impressive, really. You know, they'd they'd help people, and then and then another more boats would arrive, and they dash off to help more people, and and, and yeah. Hey all you dock lifers, I wanted to take a quick moment to make a pretty exciting announcement. You may or may not know that this month, June 2017, marks the one year anniversary of the documentary life. So we are celebrating this rather momentous occasion by making a pretty momentous announcement. As of July 7th, we are expanding the show to become a weekly program. Yep, you heard that correctly. We are literally going to be doubling the output of episodes. Not only that, but we're going to be making some changes to our current format. Among other things, now each and every episode will contain a segment hosted by myself and a segment that is a shared conversation with the doc industry guest, which is basically combining elements of the two shows per month into one episode per week. So you'll be getting lots more information and inspiration in which you can apply to your own documentary life. To stay on top of more updates like this, podcast and blog notifications, film screenings, online tutorials, as well as special discounts and promotions only offered to listeners of this show, go to the website and sign up to become a Doc Lifer. That website is thedocumentarylife.com. The website contains special show notes that coincide with all episodes, the podcast archive, the TDL store, and the TDL blog, where we post the latest articles that we think will inspire and inform you to best live and lead your own documentary life. So again, head to the Documentary Life website today and sign up to become a Doc Lifer. And I, I realize, in the interest of time, we got to be careful here. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we turn this this conversation a little bit? Though I'd love to just continue talking about this film. Let's turn it to um, to, to film festivals a bit. You mentioned that. You did a project like this, like Five Days of Lesvos, with in part with the intention of seeing what you could do on the film festival circuit. How has Five mm. Days done, and what has the film festival journey been like for you? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting question that because um, well, the first, firstly, was that you know we'd edited the film and and it sort of you know it felt like it, it was at a natural length that it was sort of what is it sixty two minutes and we didn't really have much more footage. That's the other thing I should say actually. You know, we only yeah. shot. I think I worked it out as probably about twelve hours of footage, which only done one film, which uh, which I yeah is uh, is very rare these days, I think. And um, but yeah, so so that was you know that's what it came out at, and and, and I realised that sixty two minutes was sort of an odd length because it's not really feature length, uh, you know. Sort of people think of ninety minutes, so but it's also not a short. So right. I was I was I didn't know what quite what festivals would think think to that, mm. and um, or you know how it might working with programs and things like that and not knowing much about it. So, uh, so I was sort of intrigued to see what might happen with that. And, and we've entered it into, to various, various festivals and it's done fairly well, I suppose. I mean, the, the great thing was we had our premiere at rain dance, um, yes. uh, in London last September, which was a, yeah, a really good festival to get into. And, um, it's fantastic. So yeah. And, and it was nominated for an award there as well, which was, which was great. And we thought, Oh, you know, this is, this is good. Um, something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and obviously getting into Australia, uh, the Melbourne Film Festival as well is, is is great as well. But apart from that, it hasn't played it too many, and 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 I'm, we're sort of trying to think about. Yeah, we obviously when you start, you sort of think about a festival strategy and, and where you might send it and things like that, and what festivals might be good, and you know, and we sent it to various sort of things that we thought might be might be a good fit for things like you know um, film festivals, which are about sort of. Uh, social issues and, and, and even about refugees and things like that. And it, and it hasn't gone into those, which is kind of interesting. And wow. I'm not, 
sure why. And 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 yeah, maybe they just don't think it's very good, which is fair enough. Um, but also, it does seem as I think we've sort of been finding that you, the film festival world isn't. It's, you know, you enter a film and 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 it goes into this process and and it's sort of selected. But I don't. It's interesting how the selection process works because talking to people. You know, a lot of people have sort of said, well, yes, you can enter it in the sort of in the ordinary way. But actually, it's a lot better if you sort of know the you know, know the person and, and know <laughs> people there who are selecting and things like that. So, of course. so in a way, it's been slightly disheartening to hearing that and, and realizing that actually, you know, in the end, it, perhaps it's better if you do know the right. It comes back to knowing the right people again, which is often the a case in this industry. So. So, yeah, so it's been an interesting process and, and also seeing some film festivals, which. It's sort of interesting, you know. It got into, and I think that's why I think things like Raindance and and Melbourne are so, so good because they'll accept sort of films that come from anywhere, and it doesn't matter if if they haven't got that much funding or a big backer. Whereas some festivals, I think, you know, I've been to film festivals and and you know seen a film that's been funded by huge you know studios that really isn't very good. Um, oh, right. and Seems to be quite a few out there, and, and but you often get the feeling that because they've got a big backer, that they'll they, they have that then sort of um, the sort of impetus behind them to sort of get into a to get those bigger festivals. So it's sort of it, it's sort of interesting, yeah, learning about film festivals and, and knowing that you have to have a strategy sort of beforehand um, to get it. And that seems to be how it works. Like I say, I don't have a huge amount of experience in this but that's sort of what I gleaned from this this experience really is that yeah there aren't that many I think in the end there's not that many film festivals that are prepared to sort of take a bit of a chance on yeah on a film that isn't that well publicized and and hasn't got a sort of big big sort of uh strategy behind it the beauty of of something like MDFF the Melbourne Documentary Film Mm. Festival um as you're starting to I think get into is that you know this is only its second year in existence and what's really exciting about what Lyndon's doing is that he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not, um, he's not beholden to really anyone else or any corporate money. And mm. he, it allows him to really kind of experiment not only with the film itself, I mean, the, the, the festival itself, but he can, it's, it's, it's up to, he can really kind of shape the kind of program that he wants right now. That may mm. not be the case, say in five, 10, 15 years mm. when maybe MDFF um, becomes a much bigger festival. But right now it, it sounds like a really, uh, a cool festival to be a part of right now. And it mm. sounds like you're getting in on something early on. And, and I really think Linden's onto something. And yeah. there is, uh, like you said, there's something about festivals like Rain Dance and MDFF that uh, you don't get at a, a Sundance or yeah. um, in Toronto or Hot Docs. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot more uh, films that will take more of a ri- more risks um, yeah. that you're more likely to see, and uh, and maybe the world gets represented a bit more um, in these types of festivals. Mm, absolutely, yeah, and. Um... Yes, and it's been sort of a, a bit of a, like I say, an interesting process for me, realizing that that although you you do you do have those creative freedoms doing independent film, and that that sort of stands, you have to go into it sort of with an idea of you know what festivals might want it, and 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 ideally get an agent quite early on, and mm. think about your festival strategy, and 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 all that also costs money, of course, and and often and. Um, Yes, and trying to make these films cost enough money as it is because you don't get often get the money up front and things. So, so yeah, it's um, 
it's an interesting learning curve. So in reality, Richard, when were you building a strategy for for film festivals? I mean, would you say that you were even doing this before you guys went to to Lesvos? Or was it during it that you start thinking about it? Or shortly after, once you've seen the footage? When did that really start entering into your consciousness and you became active in building a strategy? Um, I think it was really, it was after we got back really and knew yeah. what we had. And 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 I, I had a job to go to straight after we got back. So I didn't really... Um, didn't really sort of start editing until the November actually mm. that year, and, mm. and then sort of. So I think it was only when, as we were sort of editing and knew and knew that we had a sort of, you know, just a, a sort of longer film um, that we knew where we might sort of start to enter it, and then we had to. Then you have to sort of lo- start looking at festivals where you know that are at a certain time of year, so that you can then premiere, get your you know the bigger festivals and have your premiere and things like that. So I think it was a it was sort of yeah in in sort of. Just a few months after uh, we'd actually filmed it, that we sort of really started thinking about what festivals to enter it in, and things like that. And again, I, I didn't sort of think, didn't really know how much you needed to really have a strategy and things like that. But it, um, yeah, again, that's sort of what I learned is that you know you choose the right ones where you could have your premiere, and then you sort of work work that backwards after that, really. So it's um, so yeah, so so quite a long time afterwards, basically. <laughs> What have you learned from your festival experience now that you feel like you'll you'll you will apply um, in your documentary filmmaking moving forward? I think mainly it's that if you want to get into the bigger festivals, then you need to sort of think about that right from the from the off, really. And and it's things like getting a, a an agent quite early and, and thinking about strategy, but also you I think you have to think about how your film sort of the, how it will sell really uh, mm. in the eyes of an agent mm. uh, quite early on, but you know, as you're in the development process, think about what story you've got and how that, who might be interested in that and, and things like that, which, which in a way is slightly disheartening because, because that's, because <laughs> then again, you end up being constrained by, you know, what people might accept and things like that. And so, yeah, I think that's perhaps one thing I've learned is, is really how to, you have to think about it right from the start, really rather than after you finished, which is what we did. <laughs> yeah, right, right. The other, on the, the other thing was that we really wanted this film to have a, not just, you know, get into festivals, but also have a, an impact and get, you know, so people would see it and, and, and learn more about the, the refugee crisis, really, and, and people that are involved. And I think that's been the other thing that's sort of bit eye-opening is that, yeah, it's, you, do, having, you also need a strategy for sort of... Um, you know, a social impact strategy almost, and, and we learn, think about what you can do with it and, and getting it out there, and that all needs to be built in. You know, we've got things like archive in our film right. to show a news archive and things like that, and, and that costs a lot of money. And, and you know, if you want to start putting it on the internet and things, you're talking thousands and, and thousands of pounds to, to clear the archive and things like that, and, and all that needs thinking about, because if you want to get it out there, then you have to pay for all those licenses and things. So that's that's another thing which is slightly slightly annoying is that you know if you want to get it out to as many people as possible you sort of have to pay for that as well <laughs> i assume richard that this is going to that part of your strategy strategy is that this is going to play um in the broadcast market in the uk is is that correct um i don't i don't think it is now because i mean again I've, I've sort of sent it to to people uh you know executive producers that i know and and while they they see you know, think it's a very good film. 
it isn't the sort of one exec even said this to me you know it's a really great film but they wouldn't go on tv and it and i think the way it's cut what? and the way the story is told um it, you just wouldn't see something like that on british tv i don't think okay um, well, you, you're gonna have to explain that not only to myself yeah. but but to my listeners because um well i'm i'm a bit i don't want to sound naive but uh programming to me in the UK would lend itself a bit more to a documentary like five days on Lesbos than say in the U S obviously PBS would, would, uh, mm. that would be PBS type programming, but I, I'm, I don't understand like, like you working in the broadcast industry, you're also mm. going to have some idea about this. I, I, please help me educate me on why and how this is a film that wouldn't necessarily be I, why it wouldn't be picked up for, for broadcast. I think it's perfect for it. And it's an incredibly timely issue. So what am I missing here? Well, I think, I think, you know, my experience is, is that, you know, although yes, I think British TV is, is very good actually. And they are prepared to, to, to air documentaries, which perhaps are a bit different sometimes. And yeah. when I, when I say different, I sort of mean, you know, this doesn't have any commentary. Um, and it's very rare that you'll see a documentary on TV without any commentary. Yeah. Um, and things like having a pre-title at the start, one thing that I, I never understand with documentaries on TV is that you, you know, you have, usually you're expected to have a sequence at the start, which basically shows you everything that's going to be in the program. <laughs> right, well, that's TV, right? Yeah, and, and, and it's sort of expected. Whereas this obviously doesn't have that, and it's, yeah. and it's and I and I quite I like as a director using sort of techniques of of drama and, and the way stories are told in drama and bringing that to documentary. So you you don't have a, a you know a pre-title and it's quite intriguing and you sort of let the story unfold. And but there aren't many documentaries that that do that in in broadcast in in such a way. And and I think that's sort of the main thing about this is that you know it doesn't have that pre-title and it starts on a. And there's no, you know, there's no narration, and and I think, and I think that's that's sort of what it is, really. And and you, and yes, and and broadcast has its sort of set slots. You know, it has certain films that go on at certain times, and you know, current affairs is sort of nine o'clock-ish, and and this is a bit of a hybrid, and 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 so there's no obvious slot that it will go into, and I think that's another reason why it's, it isn't necessarily, um, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't go on TV. I'm not sure I still understand, but that's okay. <laughs> and it's probably just because in an, on an emotional level, both as a documentary, you know, fellow documentary filmmaker, but also being someone who I feel like uh, I will certainly be championing this film. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I, whatever. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I think, yeah it, I think it's just a, a way of, there's a certain sort of convention in, in broadcast films. I get that, it. Yeah, sure. That, to, to fit into and and when something doesn't fit into that again channels are don't want to take a risk you know yep. ultimately and it's understandable they're sort of after viewing figures and you know if, if if they don't want to take a risk on something that you know if people aren't sort of immediately hooked in then they might turn over and things like that and yep. i think that that's why they you know there's a sort of convention and 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 yeah, like i say understandably perhaps mm. channels the broadcasters are you know uh, allow to take something which is perhaps a bit different. What you mentioned early on in the program that I mean, of course, you you you've done work here in the UK with with like like Channel Four and, and mm. ITV and and you mentioned early on PBS work and you mentioned doing some projects in the US. Mm. What has taken to the US and what are you finding different about? Well, what intrigues you about going to the US and telling stories there? 
I mean, America, it is a great place to make documentaries, actually. It's, it always films, it feels like coming from the UK, certainly, when you go to America, it feels like a one big film set and everything's uh, <laughs> great there. And, 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 and people, actually, what's great about the US is that people are very open, I think more so than they are in Britain, really, is that people are a lot more open in, in, the, in the US. And, right, I think so, and, too. And, and happen, yeah, and, and happy to talk about things and issues. And whereas I think in British, everyone in Britain, everyone's quite reserved yeah, and <laughs> a little more tight left. Yeah, can't over dramatize anything too much because that was, isn't the British way. Whereas, <laughs> whereas America, I think they, they sort of love drama and and obviously, like I say, it's a great place. Just uh, yeah. So so yeah, I think that's why I like the. I mean, the film I made in the US about um, it was about like I say, it was about children in in prison in in Indiana actually, and, mm. and it was really interesting because it it was about um, children who were tried as adults and and the american justice system is, is always very interesting because because yeah, sure. i mean there's been lots of films that have sort of documented that and mm. that's one one aspect which is good so yeah so I, I do enjoy filming in the u.s so see what else comes along do you have any other projects happening over there anytime soon not anytime soon yeah. no i'm i'm working on a film here in the, U, the uk um and then i'll sort of see what happens and yeah, obviously it's an interesting time for America at the moment, as as it is in Britain. Hey, we need we need to be out there telling as many stories as possible right now. Yeah, it couldn't exactly. be a better time, really. That's the irony of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, I mean, that's that's probably probably all I have. I guess I guess the last thing that I will ask you, and it's mm. something that I often I'll end asking a guest is is. I'll end with asking them how they lead sort of their documentary life. Oh, and, yeah. and again, that uh, there's many ways to answer that. Um, mm. it, and it can include how you currently make a living. But the idea is, what is it that you do to provide for yourself and or your family? And that can be financially, spiritually, emotionally, <laughs> what you're doing that allows you to be able to do the passion of documentary filmmaking. Mm, so yeah, I guess I, mean, I would say, Richard, how is it that you would define and how do you lead your own documentary life? <laughs> Good question. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, at a, at a basic level, I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky, really, in that I, I've got to a place in my broadcast career where I'm making the kinds of films that I'd like to make, as in, you know, sort of character-led um, documentaries about sort of issues, uh, social issues. And, and so I'm quite lucky in that I get to do that and get paid for it, which I think is... It's actually quite rare in this industry, and absolutely. And as I as I sort of go on, I'm, I'm I want to have more creative freedom, and yeah. And so I think I want to do more and more sort of non-broadcast projects in a way, um, but while keeping my hand in doing those as well, because I mean it is great, like I say, and, and and obviously you need to get paid in some way. So I think I want to try and find a balance between doing broadcast projects uh, and interesting broadcast projects, yeah. but also developing my own ideas and. And, and making independent films when the opportunity comes along. And I think doing things like Five Days on Lesbos, where, you know, we simply saw the story and thought, right, I want to go and make a film about this and go off and do it. And that really is the ideal. And yeah, you just, and the more I can try and find a way of making money in that way as well, because I think that's, you, you know, mentioned about family and things and, and you do have to, to sort of make a living out of it as well. And, and yes, try trying to find a balance between, I think, I mean, perhaps I've been a bit unfair on the broadcast world because I, mm. I, I am very lucky in that I do have, to, compared to a lot of people, a lot of freedom to make the kinds of films that I want to make. So yeah. I do enjoy doing that, but but I'm always, perhaps as a director, I'm always after more and more freedom <laughs> to uh, to be more and more creative. And, and I see independent films as a way of doing that. So 
So ultimately, I want to try and find a balance between doing broadcast work that I can get paid for and independent films, which which I can just, you know, do whatever I like and try out new things and 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 new stories and and yeah, take you to places that uh, you perhaps you wouldn't usually get to go to doing broadcast work. Richard, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. It's 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 been a wonderful, uh, enlightening conversation. I know that uh, I myself have gotten a lot from it, and and I know that, that my listeners will as well. So um, yeah, thank you so much for Good. agreeing to have this conversation. No, no, thank you, no, thank you for asking. I'm glad you liked the film. I have a great rest yeah. of your day, Richard. Thank and, you, thank you. Yeah, thanks again. Yeah, take care, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Hey, can I ask a quick favor? If you found this podcast helpful in living your doc life or making your doc film, will you help us share it with more people by giving us a stellar review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast? We'd really appreciate it. And you'll be helping the doc filmmaking community find us. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.